Do you see that off in the distance? It's likely your conference championship race starting to take shape. Welcome into the hard count. It is Prediction Tuesday, Tuesday, November 7th, 2023. The last one on the face of this earth. So we're going to make it the absolute greatest one in history. We're glad to have you in here. This is the hard count. It's college football. It's only college football today, tomorrow, next year, the year after that, every single week of this year. We're talking ball and only ball whether they're playing games or they're not. We got a lot to unpack here. It is week 11 of the season, giving you our picks on all the games, all the big-time games that are set for this Saturday slate. We're glad to have you in here talking. George Ole Miss here in just a minute, talking a little bit about some Florida Cup implications here with Florida State. Miami's had to do battle. You also got a pretty big game in the Big Ten with Michigan and Penn State. That's going to be Michigan's first test, and Penn State kind of trying to take the elevator to that top tier in the ped, in, in the uh, in the Big Ten, rather. Then you also got Tennessee going to Missouri. Missouri gave Georgia all they wanted, and then some last week. Tennessee took care of business against UConn. You saw Nico kind of show off the wing a little bit. Last time we saw them in the national spotlight, they had a game against Kentucky where they looked really good. Like we got a lot of these conference title races now, slowly but surely starting to take shape. And this week is going to have a massive, massive impact on where some of these teams are sitting when it comes to conference championship weekend. Some of them will be at the crib, watching from home on the couch, and some of them ready to get to, to uh, maybe potentially bring some hardware home. Now, here's what I want to say before we get started here. We're glad to have y'all here. Let's enjoy this. It's so easy during this time of the year with the holidays on the horizon. You got Thanksgiving right around the corner. Some of y'all I know are getting ready to launch into final season. Some of y'all are in the fourth quarter of whatever you got going on at your job. Like, let's, let's really enjoy this. We don't get that many Saturdays a year. You get, you get 12 Saturdays a year, guaranteed, and that's it. Everything after that is gravy. Let's make sure we enjoy every single moment of this college football season. Let's not wish it away. So whatever you got going on right now, us included on this show, we're going to enjoy the heck out of this Tuesday, going to enjoy the heck out of this college football season, and we're going to make every single pick count, every single day count, and we appreciate y'all in advance for doing the same. Make sure you're subscribed, make sure you're dialed in here so you don't miss a minute of what we got going on here. Also, very important now to be following on Instagram and on Twitter at JD Piquel. Have some news we're going to share here about where we may be headed this upcoming Saturday, and uh, those will be a great, that will be a great platform for you to uh, be in the know. All right, without further ado, let's get right to it, baby. Starting in the Big Ten, you got Michigan going to Penn State, 12 Eastern on Fox will be the big noon game. You got Gus Johnson, the man, the myth, the legend, Joel Klatt, Jenny Taft, the whole gang breaking it down out there in State College. For Michigan, they're favored by four and a half points. It is a one-game season from here on out with Michigan. So much said about who they had early in the season, their non-conference schedule, what they haven't been tested to this point in the year. That's all true. But there's also been a lot of external noise. All that's to say, none of that matters anymore when you step between the white lines. Like all the pregame talk around, well, the sign-stealing Connor Stallions, Jim Harbaugh, Ric Flair, like all, all that stuff that was said during the week, that doesn't matter when toe meets leather and you start playing the game in Happy Valley. So just to be clear, that's all a lot of external noise. That, that probably helps with your preparation during the week. But when you start playing football, it's about football and nothing else outside of that, much like this show. Uh, this will be the reintroduction for Michigan to the rest of the country. Because we, we kind of watch the box score and we see the ticker with Michigan and say, oh, good, they throttled somebody else this weekend. Good for Michigan. They'll have a real test roster-wise against Penn State. And I can't wait to watch it because for Penn State now, this is a season-defining kind of game. We saw them play in Columbus 
the difference that day was Ohio State had Marvin Harrison Jr. and Penn State did not. But for Penn State, you have built to a game like this. You've built to a season like this. The, the whole hope during the year was, hey, if, if we can find a way to beat Michigan, beat Ohio State, if they can split that, you know how huge that would be for James Franklin? I think this is a powder keg kind of opportunity for Penn State to be able to have some kind of skin on the wall and not have this conversation around, well, 10 and 2, we'll try again next year. And make no mistake, the window isn't closed for Penn State if they lose to Michigan. But I promise you, if they do beat Michigan, the trajectory of this whole operation, what that would do for them on the recruiting trail, just the optics around the Penn State logo, I think, would change drastically if you find a way to beat the bully in the Big Ten the last couple of years in Michigan, much less at your house in Happy Valley. Would do a lot for that team, would do a lot for what they got going on there in the future under James Franklin. So what does this game come down to? Well, it's the Big Ten. It's Michigan. It's Penn State. It's no secret. We got to go ahead and look at what these big human beings on the line of scrimmage for Michigan and Penn State have to say about this game. Because if you remember correctly now, in this game a season ago, Michigan ran for 400 yards. Not 400 yards total offense, not 400 yards passing, 400 yards rushing. That was the difference. Now, Penn State, this is a different outfit than last year. Currently, they're allowing less than two yards a carry is Penn State. Y'all, that's ridiculous. One of the best units in the country. It'll be the best front seven that Michigan has seen to this point. This is clearly plan A for both teams to run the football. Penn State, they're averaging right around 40 carries a game. Penn State, they're a 57% run team. What this comes down to for me is what it what what it asks of the Penn State offense. Because what you want to do if you're Penn State is take as much pressure off Drew Aller as possible. Not because he can't handle it, just because you don't want to ask that of your first-year starting quarterback to go out there and win the game for you against Michigan. So, if you're able to minimize the run game, if you're Michigan, and be able to kind of hold Nick Singleton and Catron Allen at bay, well then for Drew Aller, he has to then throw the football to beat you. Pretty straightforward. But if Penn State's able to run the football and kind of get some rhythm going, then things kind of open up. And one, Drew Aller has less pressure on him. That's first. Second, Drew Aller then is able to kind of be an asset and not plan A for the Penn State offense. Going into this game, I promise you, it is let's run the football. Drew Aller, hit your shots where you can. But within this game itself, if that whole uh, complexion starts to shift and Drew Aller does have to step into that spot and be the guy, I don't think that's the world that you really want to live in. Now, I want to make sure this is clear. This is more important for Penn State to be able to own the line of scrimmage. And own's probably the wrong word, but to be able to manage the line of scrimmage and kind of win more of the battles there. Because for Michigan, if they can't run the football, that's a bummer. They want to run the football, but they feel a lot better about a situation where they have to ask J.J. McCarthy to go out there and sling it. Because they've elevated to this point in the year what they have in that pass game. Last year, J.J. McCarthy went over 250 yards passing twice in the regular season. We're going into week 11. He's done it four times. The weapons they have and the way that J.J. McCarthy has kind of taken ownership of this offense gives them much more confidence to where if they can't run the football, they feel better about utilizing his arm talent and what they have there. So if Michigan can run the football how they want to, that could just be the mic drop, right? If they run for anywhere near, forget 400 yards. If they run for 200 yards against Penn State, I think you're seeing Michigan winning in Happy Valley. A big if. A lot of this too comes with the pace of play with what you ask of Michigan and what you ask of Penn State, because I think Penn State wants to kind of keep it a, 
let's match scores and not have it be a thing where where you know Michigan ends up pouring it on early they get out to an early lead and Penn State has to find a way to to get after it and try and chase Michigan in that sense and a big part of that too is going to be the Michigan playmakers against Penn State secondary because this was how Ohio State won the football game against Penn State like we alluded to at the top of this segment the difference with Penn State against Ohio State was Penn State played a lot of man coverage I expect them to do the very same against Michigan but Marvin Harrison Jr. is just from another planet and took over that game and that was the the end-all be-all now Michigan lucky for Penn State uh, they don't have a Marvin Harrison Jr. lining up for them so what I would say though Michigan they have some guys that can hurt you if you don't do a good job in man coverage now Kalen King is going to be an NFL draft pick for Penn State he'll have his work cut out for him I expect him to be obviously a big part of whatever Penn State does defensively I think they'll probably leave him on an island whether it's Roman Wilson whether it's Cornelius Johnson I think they'll leave him where they leave him I don't think he'll follow anybody in this game but the thing I'm looking for here when it comes to excuse me when it comes to the battles here who ends up winning the majority of those battles it could be back and forth it could be a thing where Colston Loveland gets his it could be a thing Roman Wilson gets his I'm more curious about what does that force Penn State to do going back to the original question here does Penn State have to score in the range of 30 to win this game because if you ask that of them I don't love the way that looks for them now the thing for Penn State if they're able to match up with Michigan effectively and do a good job in man coverage maybe Colston Loveland has four catches for about 60 something yards but no touchdowns and none of those big gash plays that hurts you consistently maybe he has a couple but he doesn't have the big you know take the top off the defense kind of play and, and he doesn't just end up being the ace of spades for Michigan in this spot then you force Michigan to drive and Penn State that's still not a world you necessarily would love to be in because I think if you ask Michigan to drive they can do that but it's very different having it be a well Michigan just went up 14-0 because Roman Wilson beat his man touchdown Michigan and then you get stopped on on you know three and out back to Michigan another five play drive out to Colston Loveland touchdown 14-0 and we got to ask Drew Aller now hey Drew Aller you got to throw the ball 40 times for us to win this game that was kind of what happened at the end of the Ohio State game and that's not a recipe for success so going back to what you talk about with Drew Aller there has to be something here for Penn State to allow them to lighten the box like for Drew Aller there needs to be a hot stove moment against this Michigan defense and we all understand like whenever we were growing up you were told hey don't touch the stove it's hot and some of us heard that and said okay great I won't touch the stove no problem some of us reached that paw up there and touched the stove got burned and said okay I won't do that again if Drew Aller can burn the Michigan defense just once especially early in this game that changes the rest of the game with how Michigan's going to play them because if you stack the box because you're obviously worried about their two best players and Catron Allen and Nick Singleton and, and they you know try and take that away and then you hit a Keandre Lambert down the, down the sideline for a 75-yard touchdown I promise you that front seven for Michigan will look a little bit different going forward because of a play like that then those, then those safeties can't trigger up and help and run support the way that they would like to throughout the duration of this game so a subplot within this now we all left the Ohio State game for Penn State feeling like man in that spot for Penn State like let's let's swing the sword a little bit more here you know like let's let's really go let's attack this Ohio State defense there needs to be one more of an effort to feed Nick Singleton and Catron Allen that's first second I'd love to see a little bit more creativity and an effort to get the guy to get the ball to guys in space 
Keandre Lambert-Smith obviously being one of those, Dante Sivas being one of those. Like, let's find a way to create matchups that we like if we're Penn State and, and really be aggressive here. It's, it's not going to work if we go out there and try and just play our base offense and pound the rock and try and wear Michigan down. I don't think you beat Michigan at their own game if you're Penn State. So the creativity here is something to watch for. Tyler Warren is a, is a, a tight end for Penn State. Had a great game against Maryland. He could kind of be that chess piece that you move around a little bit here, whether he's in line, whether he's an H-back, maybe he's in the slot. Keep an eye on how they utilize him for Penn State because I think that could kind of be the, uh, the difference maker for them, especially on third down when they need to pick it up and he's kind of your matchup big body you get the ball to. I think the approach for both teams is really something to watch for here too. Because for Penn State, like, you got to meet the moment. Got to meet the moment. Already lost to Ohio State. The entire talking point around Penn State was, okay, can they elevate to that Tier 1 Big Ten team? We'll see, because if you want to be a Tier 1 Big Ten team, you got to beat a Tier 1 Big Ten team. Already lost to Ohio State. Michigan is now the last Tier 1 Big Ten team on your schedule. It is the Tier 1 Big Ten team that you have to play this season. So, are you able to muster up the strength, hit the reset button from that Ohio State game, from the Indiana game, and play your best football when it's required in this spot. That's what it will take very, very clearly. There, there, is, no, there is no A- minus game that wins for Penn State in this spot against Michigan. And for Michigan now, we have the same question in terms of approach, but a different facet of it. Are they able to meet the moment in the sense of, are they able to just hit the on switch and be able to play against top-tier competition in Penn State? Because say whatever you want about Penn State of, oh, well, they haven't won the Big Ten in this many years. They haven't beat Ohio State. They haven't won the big one. Say what you want. It's a much better roster than what Michigan has seen to this point in the season. It's going to be a better roster than Indiana, than Michigan State. Insert whoever Michigan's played. Penn State's better than them to this point in the season. And so whenever you play a much better, drastically better roster, and you haven't played against that throughout all the way up to week 11 now in the season, there's always that potential for there to be a little bit of a calibration period. Like Michigan, if they walk out there in the first quarter and kind of get stunned of like, whoa, yeah, we, we haven't played against a guy like Chop Robinson here ever. Abdul Carter, yeah, we haven't seen someone like him to this point in our schedule ever. And I don't say ever throughout just the entire time these guys have been at Michigan, but we understand now each season is a life of its own. Each team has a life of its own. And I'd be curious to see if it's a thing where Michigan right out the gate, they're like, hey, we know what it is. All business, machine-like. The on-switch has been on for a while here. We just haven't played a team like Penn State. Go to work, same song, week 11 verse. Is that it? Or is it a thing where Penn State gets out there, lands a couple of blows, catches Michigan off balance, and once you know we got a ball game going in the fourth quarter in Happy Valley? I think when it comes down to our pick in this game, Penn State is a very, very physical operation. We saw it firsthand against Ohio State. The box score didn't really show it, but... If you were there and watching those pads pop and watching that line of scrimmage go back and forth, like, this is a physical outfit. They held Ohio State to less than two yards of carry. All right? However, I still think, based on what we know about Michigan, to this point in the year, I think they're going to be the more physical team in this one. I don't think it's drastic. I just think the edge physically goes to Michigan here. I think the first half is going to be close I think it'll be low scoring I think we could go in at half somewhere like 17-14 Michigan's up by three Penn State's up by three doesn't matter to me but I do think to go four quarters with Michigan will take a superhuman effort from this Penn State team I think the experience of this Michigan team is what pays dividends too and again I think the external noise now it plays a factor during the week with how you prepare and I think it could kind of be the thing that propels the motivation wise here in this fourth quarter 
And it's just, it's tough, man. With Michigan, it's like standing under a very, very heavy weight. Like you might put it on your back at first and feel pretty good and say, okay, yeah, it's heavy, but I can, you know, I, I can hold it. But when you stand under it for three and a half quarters, at some point in time, you're going to crumble. And so I think that's what we see here. I think Michigan ends up winning this game. I think that the, the difference is J.J. McCarthy being able to push the ball downfield with his arm and Colston Loveland making plays and man coverage. Expect a big day from him. Final score, Michigan 31, Penn State 21. So we like Michigan to win and to cover. And I think this just shows to everybody across the country, like, okay, Michigan's still Michigan. And Michigan, Ohio State is once again going to be a blockbuster. And there's going to be a lot said about Penn State after this game if they lose in the fashion that we're expecting based on that final score. Now, to be very clear, there is a path here for Penn State to win this football game. If Penn State wins, we'll come in here on Sunday and talk about it. But it would not be the most overwhelmingly surprising result based on what that line is. But if Penn State does drop this game, the window is not closed. Drew Aller still coming back for another year. Nick Singleton, Catron Allen. They've got a really great core of young talent here at Penn State. So just because you don't get it done in 2023 doesn't mean it's impossible. I think actually you probably look to 2024 and feel a little bit more optimistic with more of these guys getting more experience. So we like Michigan to win that game. I think they're the most complete team in the country at this point. And uh, with how dominant they've been, I don't think there's a whole lot of uh, taking their foot off the gas that we're going to see. Uh, end up hurting them early in this game against Penn State. So that'll be a lot of fun. Appreciate y'all being dialed in here. Hey, everybody liked the video here. We're going to get to our Georgia Ole Miss prediction here in just a second. Still got to talk about Miami going to Tallahassee. Got Tennessee, Missouri to break down. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you've liked the video. We appreciate y'all in advance, man. Y'all have been crushing it. Absolutely crushing it this last month for us. So we appreciate y'all so much. And everyone who found us now throughout the course of college football season, whether you're listening via podcast, whether you're watching on YouTube. We're just glad to have you here. So thank you so much for that. Uh, those of y'all that have been watching on YouTube or listening on podcasts for the last week or so, you know that we've got a little prize picks giveaway going right now. So shout out to prize picks, bringing you the hard count today. And we got a giveaway that we will announce the winners to tomorrow. So in the description to this video, if you're watching it in a one-off fashion, great. If you're watching live right now, it's also linked in the live channel or in the live show rather. Prize picks is doing a giveaway. If you submit your email to that Google form in the link, your, your email that's linked to your PrizePix account rather, we're going to randomly select five emails. And those five emails will win a free five-pick entry that is a flex play to win up to $1,000. Okay, so I'll say that again. Put your email into the Google form that's tied to your PrizePix account. We will randomly select five of those emails. If you win, you will have an opportunity to submit a five-pick entry flex play to win up to a thousand dollars if you lose no worries it was free that's the beautiful part about this so to recap it for you with prize picks uh redeem code jd for a hundred percent deposit match up to a hundred bucks also let me know what y'all are putting in during the weekend like let me know if you got a big winner hit me on instagram on twitter dm me let me know what y'all are doing over there uh would love to hear what you uh what you got going when it comes to these plays during the week we had one hit if you tailed us this past weekend so if you did, shout out to y'all. We appreciate y'all being a part of this. Hudson Card, half a touchdown pass, walked up to the house. He said, front door, it's closed. Let me go in the back door. A little back door action through a touchdown pass against Michigan. Late, Drew Aller, one and a half touchdown passes. We took the more there. That also hit. So two mores off the board with the beautiful part about it being a flex play. That already got us some money. We didn't do a power play. We just had to have two or three hit, and we got some money. Roman Wilson, we had him for a half a receiving touchdown. That did not hit. Roman Wilson had a huge day. He's a touchdown machine. 
Just did what was asked of him that day. No worries, Roman. We Hey, we appreciate you and what you've done to us for this point in the year. No problem at all. Uh, still, again, our flex play did hit. So if you tailed us, we appreciate y'all. Again, redeem code JD, 100% deposit match, up to $100 when you sign up and use that code. Had a lot of y'all already reach out to me and tell me you've used that code. Shouts to y'all. Make sure you sign up for that giveaway. This ends tomorrow. We will announce the winners tomorrow, okay? So make sure you're dialed in. Again, the link to this Google form is in the description to the live show and also will be in this video if you're watching in a one-off capacity. So get after that. Have a chance to win a free five-pick flex play kind of entry to win $1,000. Stop. Too good to be true. Nope, it's not. Shout out prospects. All right. Let's get into it now. Moving right along. Top 10 matchup in the SEC. College game day is going to be there. It's Ole Miss at Georgia in Athens, 7 Eastern, ESPN, Georgia. The line anywhere around minus 11, minus 10 and a half. Bottom line, they're favored by double digits in Athens. Surprise, surprise. This will be a massive, massive game when it comes to the college football playoff race, comes to the SEC title race. And for Georgia, it just keeps on ramping up every single week for them. The good news is I think they keep getting better. If you're a Georgia fan, the challenge is I think the schedule keeps getting tougher. Like Missouri, phenomenal football team. We told you going in, we told you after that game. They're a top 15 team. There was nothing overrated about Missouri, and we saw that in Athens. Had Rusty Mansell on the roundtable yesterday, and he said it perfectly. They gave Georgia all they wanted for four quarters. All they wanted, all, all they could bargain for. Now Georgia fell back on their traits, the poise, the composure. The Kirby Smart kind of coach team, the, the fact that they've trended upward and playing their best ball right now ended up showing itself. The challenge for Georgia now, can you keep swinging? Just had a tremendous heavyweight bout with Missouri in Athens. We talked about it on our Sunday recap. Can you keep swinging as the opponent gets tougher? Can you keep that internal standard at a championship level after you have to keep on emptying the tank week after week? That's going to be the challenge here. For Ole Miss, this is a chance now to plant your flag. We've kind of thought about Ole Miss as maybe that two-tier SEC team or tier two SEC team, rather. You talk about Georgia and Alabama. You talk about LSU a little bit more now. Tennessee's maybe even in that mix. But Ole Miss has kind of always been like that fringe SEC team when it comes to the tier one, at least. You beat Georgia, who we think is the best team in the country, and you beat them at their house? Flag plant. We're here. We're not going nowhere. Lane Kiffin put his face into that tier one conversation when it comes to the best college football coaches. Like, this is a game that you need to bring your best. Need to bring your best. I said the same thing with Penn State and Michigan. You're not winning with your A- minus game. For Ole Miss, if you want to be the top dog in the SEC and you want to make a statement, you go take down the top dog and you do it at their house. That would be a statement. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a minute of what we got going on here on this channel. We appreciate y'all so much in advance for that. College football every single day of the year. No hot takes, no agendas, nothing extra that you don't care about when it comes to college football Saturdays because that's how we cover the game. That's how we talk about the game. We celebrate the game, and we want y'all a part of it. So make sure you're subscribed right here. We appreciate y'all so much in advance for that. Big thing I'm watching this game now. Carson Beck versus the Blitz. Pete Golding now. Going to dial it up. We already know he's going to do it. And you say, well, J.D., we saw Missouri dial it up, too. Missouri, they were the appetizer. I promise you, Ole Miss, they are the entree. They have a 9% sack rate on this season. Does Ole Miss top 10 in the country? And make no mistake now, this chess game of Ole Miss trying to heat up Carson Beck and Carson Beck trying to throw out of it, that game is being won right now during the week. That game is being won with Carson Beck sitting in the film room, getting in the lab, 
sitting there with the laser pointer and being able to dissect these blitzes that Ole Miss is going to bring. Same thing for Ole Miss. The big thing for them is going to be confusion. I don't think you go out there and run the same blitzes you have the entirety of the season because I think Carson Beck will have the answers to those. It's going to be a lot about can you catch him in a spot where he doesn't know where to go with the football. We haven't seen that yet from Carson Beck. Haven't seen that yet. To this point, he's had, again, every single solution to the problem they've presented. So if you can confuse him, that'd be something we haven't seen that would throw the Georgia offense out of rhythm that would that would potentially see a Carson Beck that is a little bit rattled, which, again, we have not seen. I think that just kind of goes into the, whoa, who knows mode. <laughs> you know, like, hey, I don't... This isn't a spot we've seen Georgia in right now. I haven't seen them be punched to the mouth and be off balance and out of rhythm offensively in this kind of spot against this kind of roster. The second part of that is it opens the door for the Ole Miss offense if you can do that. I mean, Jackson Dart, he's pretty good in his own right too. We talked about him a little bit earlier in the year. Like, dude is a baller. Dude has been accurate down the field. Just does every single thing that's asked of him. Has elevated his game tremendously from a season ago with how he's distributing the football. If you're cracking the door open for that offense... Hey, lace them up, boys. Lace them up, because we're going to have a track meet. You force that Georgia offense to chase Ole Miss's offense, I don't think that's a game that you want to play if you're Georgia. It definitely favors Ole Miss. I'll say that much in terms of the kind of style they want to play. Now, something to watch here, the subplot within the the chess game when it comes to blitzing Carson Beck. What did we see a lot of last week when Missouri dialed it up against Carson Beck in Georgia? Screen game. Saying, hey, you want to bring the pressure? That's fine. We're going to open the door for you. You go right on in the door. Little mousetrap action. Smack. Elephants on parade. Offensive lineman. We got a screen going with Ladd McConkie, Dominique Lovett. Like, whatever it ends up being, we got some dudes in space making plays. Kind of some jujitsu now. Using the momentum against them. Having some big plays happen for them. That's going to be very, very critical to, one, have that available as well in this game. Two, what those dudes do in space may determine the outcome of this game. If Dominic Lovett and Ladd McConkie are just the answer to that blitz in terms of what they do catching those bubbles or those tunnel screens, that changes the entire complexion of how Georgia sets up shop in second down, third down. Also, being able to run the football. If you can run into the blitz and run underneath that blitz and have some gash plays, like that definitely keeps you out of a here-we-go kind of third down. And a here-we-go kind of third down is... It's third and 10. You know they're blitzing. They know they're blitzing. You don't know where it's coming from. That would be Pandora's box that you would like to kind of keep closed if you're Georgia, and a good way to do that would be to run the football. Another thing to watch here, the battle on the perimeter against this Georgia defense. Because people are going to say, well, Georgia, they've had, hey, we've seen them have trouble stopping the run. We haven't seen Georgia have trouble stopping the run. We've seen Georgia have some trouble setting the edge. Like, think back to that game against Auburn, where Peyton Thorne was getting around the corner. It felt like every other play. I think he ran for almost 90 yards. It wasn't a thing where they weren't winning the line of scrimmage. It was they were getting out leveraged. Now, the thing now with Ole Miss is they do a great job about that. They do a great job getting on the perimeter. And I promise you, Lane Kiffin, we already know he's got some things cooked up that he has saved just for this game. And if he doesn't, that would surprise me, but I promise you he's gotten in the lab Cooked up some stuff just for this game during the week. A lot of jet sweeps with Jordan Watkins and, and Dayton Wade. I promise you, Quinshawn Judkins, they will make an effort to have some outside zone runs with him. They want to put pressure on the edge. Now, for Georgia, if you're able to manage that and manage it honestly, and we'll talk more about that here in a second, you can play more matchup football and you can play more between the tackle football. Both of those sectors of the game, Georgia is 
arguably the best in the country at. So if it's just, hey, our guy versus your guy, Georgia likes that. Hey, we're going to play in between the tackles, and you got to run north and south on us, Georgia likes that. I don't think that's a matchup that you win for, for Ole Miss. Now, we said you have to play it honestly. What does that mean? It means if Georgia stops those jet sweeps, but at the price of overcommitting, or they stop those stretch runs at the price of overcommitting, what happens? Ole Miss, they have some counters off that. It's, okay, we're running that jet sweep motion. You overcommit, safety comes down. We got some big plays behind you. We've seen Ole Miss do it. I promise you they will do it again if Georgia doesn't defend this honestly. And when we say honest, it just goes back to resources. Can your individuals win their individual battles, a lot of individuals here, and be able to execute their assignment and not have to add in another safety and not have to bring your linebacker over the top to try and make that play? Without getting two in the weeds from an X's and O's standpoint, can you just play honestly? Can you play essentially across the board your assignment and keep from those big gash plays coming and keep Ole Miss from having those those haymakers off of that. Because Quinshawn Judkins now, that's a bad dude getting downhill. Does not go down on first contact, has great balance, great vision. You don't want to see a world where he gets into rhythm because the thing about backs like Quinshawn Judkins, once they get some confidence, once they get some momentum going in the second quarter, they're a lot tougher to tackle in that third and fourth quarter. Just kind of the way that this whole thing works. So you want to try and avoid that best you can. If you can stop that, if you can stop that, like we said, it goes back to favoring Georgia in terms of being able to play your style of ball in between the tackles. If you want to go north and south on us, it's not going to happen. Georgia's far, far too good when it comes to that kind of ball. Look at the Kentucky game. That's a great example of that. Now, what does Georgia do in the secondary against the Ole Miss wide receivers? And the, and the matchup here, the key thing I'm watching is Trey Harris for Ole Miss. About six foot two, 205, had 11 catches and 213 yards and a touchdown against AM, putting up road to glory numbers against Kamari Laster, Julian Humphrey, whoever matches up with him in this Georgia secondary. Because if you want to beat Georgia, we've seen it throughout the duration of Kirby Smart's time in Athens, you need to have an ace of spades. Now, for those of y'all that play cards, we all understand the ace of spades, when you play spades, is like the end all be all. No matter what card you play against my ace of spades, my ace of spades wins. And that's kind of been what it has been against Georgia. If you have a Marvin Harrison Jr., if you have a Jamison Williams, that can be that ace of spades on the perimeter to where no matter what you play, no matter what you blitz, no matter what coverage you're in, we're going to find a way to win because of that matchup. Is Trey Harris that for Ole Miss? Because I think he needs to be for them to be able to win this football game. I mean, credit Kamari Lasseter. They moved him inside and played against Luther Burden last week, who's one of the best wide receivers in the country. Did a great job on him. Held him three catches. Luther Burden a little bit dinged up, came back in the game. Bottom line, need that same kind of effort from this secondary in that spot. Whether it's Julian Humphrey or whether it's Kamari Laster, it doesn't matter to me, but I think you have to be able to manage that and not have it be the end-all, be-all, like I said, ace of spades kind of impact. It's about winning the war in that matchup. I expect battles to go both ways at different points in time. Like I don't think you hold Trey Harris to zero catches. If you do, you're covering the spread. But imagine a world where it probably does go both ways to a degree. Can you win the majority? Can you win the timely battles to end up getting you that big win on third down, on fourth down, where they, you know they're going to number nine? Can you match up accordingly? So when it comes to the difference in this game, I think Ole Miss is going to land some shots. I really do. I think, I think Lane Kiffin and the way that he has – prepared for a game like this he's going to have some answers for what Kirby Smart does defensively 
what Glenn Schumann, Will Muschamp, what they all do defensively. Now to that same token. We saw Missouri go toe-to-toe with Georgia last year. Or last week, rather. Last year, too, honestly. Missouri, the gritty football team, tough football team. We saw them give them all they wanted and then some. Jackson Dart brings a lot of those same characteristics that Brady Cook brings. Willing runner. He'll get downhill against you. Probably more accurate downfield. But here's the deal, man. When you go to Athens and you got to go four quarters with the back-to-back national champs, I think the physicality of Georgia is what wears you down. And I think Carson Beck, with how poised he is and how well he's playing and the way they match up schematically against this Ole Miss defense, I think he'll once again have the answers. And I think once again, Georgia will win in space when they're asked to do so. So for me, I like Georgia to win this football game 41-30. to I would not touch the spread. Now, by nature of that score that I just told you, we have Georgia winning by 11. Some places have it at 10.5. Some places have it at 11. I wouldn't touch it by nature of Kirby Smart, excuse me, by nature of Lane Kiffin and what he's going to bring to the table with just being an offensive wizard. I don't, like, I don't like the spread. But I think when we finish this game and the dust settles, we say, you know what? Georgia's still Georgia. Yeah, there was talk about what they were in the offseason and what they didn't do the first couple of weeks. We're now in November. They're undefeated. They're staring right in the face of another SEC title and another college football playoff berth. Georgia still Georgia. Kirby Smart has once again created a team that has the traits that he wants with tough, physical poise, all those things. And I think we see it yet again in the fourth quarter in Athens. Now, if that game is in, is in Oxford, maybe there's a different, uh, different final score there. But I still think just Georgia is just too tough and they're rounded into final form right now. Not a world you want to live in. Not a world you want to live in if you're having to play the dogs in Athens. That'll be fun, though. That'll be a lot, a lot of fun. Again, keep an eye on the socials for an announcement around where we are this Saturday. Hint, hint, wink, wink. All right, let's move it right along here. Move it right along. Hey, get in the live chat right now and let us know your questions, your thoughts, your concerns. Heck, maybe even your pick for this week on some of these games. About to break down another one right now. In the SEC, Tennessee at Missouri. 3.30 Eastern on CBS. I keep telling y'all, man, I, I cannot stress this enough. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy the SEC theme for as long as we get it. It's, it's pure nostalgia, just put into musical form. That's what it feels like to me. Every single memory from my childhood has the SEC on CBS kind of theme, and this is one of the last times we get it now, so soak it up. Tennessee at Mizzou. Tennessee, one and a half point favorite. Don't look now for Tennessee, but staying alive. It's kind of the mission right now, staying alive in that SEC East. There'll be some attention on the game for George Ole Miss here after this one, depending on how things shake out. But Tennessee just continues to stick to their new brand of football. Gritty, playing in the trenches, playing physical. Joe Milton, is he Anthony Richardson? Like a lot of people expected him to be during the preseason because he can throw down a backflip and throw the ball 90 yards. No, but he's been really efficient, been really effective. He'll need to do more of that in this game for them to beat Missouri at Missouri, a tough place to play. Now, Missouri, this could kind of be the reminder kind of game for the rest of the country because they lost to Georgia, and that game had a lot of hype, as it should, and they were a top 15 team coming in. But, like, even with that being said, like, Missouri is still, I think, one of the better football teams in the country. I think Missouri probably is a team that ends up winning the Big Ten West. No shade on the Big Ten West. But just because they're in the SEC, just because they lost to Georgia and took Georgia four quarters and couldn't get it done – doesn't mean they're not still a team that we got to take seriously when it comes to the national college football landscape. So this is kind of a, hey, we're still here kind of feeling for Missouri. 
if you find a way to beat Tennessee at your place. Big thing to watch now, Joe Milton against Blake Baker, the defensive coordinator for Missouri. Like, I think the thing for Tennessee in this game, we think about last year, we think about Hendon Hooker dropping bombs to Jalen Hyatt and to Cedric Tillman and to Brew McCoy. And Brew McCoy, I mean, you hope he's able to get well soon and get back to playing football here at some point in the very, very near future next season. But in this game, I don't think you need to have the bombs away kind of mentality if you're Joe Milton. I think you need to have the little stun little stun if you're Joe Milton you don't need to have the 60-yard bomb I need the 10-yard dig route I need the 15-yard curl I need the 14 back to 12 kind of comeback if we have that then we keep that Missouri defense a little bit more honest because Missouri we saw them against Florida or against Georgia rather uh, they're going to dial it up they're going to get after you Blake Baker likes to apply pressure I expect nothing different in this game against Tennessee so for Tennessee big week for the outlet pass and the outlet pass is essentially like hey you scramble play breaks down squirrel white sitting out there in the flat kind of just been hanging out there for the duration of this play get the ball to squirrel white let him cook in space big squirrel white big Dante Thornton week if you're Tennessee need both those guys to step up in a big way when they catch the ball at three yards get a seven get us ten be able to make plays in space. That could be what this thing comes down to. Because if Missouri's able to get home and Blake Baker's able to kind of move the night to E5, boom, checkmate, sack on Joe Milton, then the problems start to compound. Because what I just said about having to have that little stun pass game, you don't have to have the big vertical shot. Well, then we kind of go back on that statement and say, hey, Joe, you know what I said about not needing to throw the ball deep all the time? Uh, well, it's third and 15. So uh, let's go ahead and run four verts on one-on-one. Thanks so much. Like, you don't want to have that kind of conversation with Joe Milton. Not because he can't do it, but because it's not who you are right now as an identity with this Tennessee offense. Now, if you are able to have that kind of stun persona as a pass game for Tennessee against Missouri, what I think would happen is the Missouri defense probably mellows out a little bit probably have to be a little bit more honest across the board with how you play this Tennessee offense bottom line if you give Josh Heupel the picture he wants defensively he's gonna make you pay he's one of the best offensive minds in the country he's gonna make you pay so if you're able to make the mellow out early could be a long day for Missouri at the crib now the battle of explosiveness too is something we got to watch here in this one especially when Missouri has the football because to keep it a buck now like Tennessee, they would love to play this game in the 20s. And it sounds bizarre. If you told me that at SEC Media Days, I would say what happened to Tennessee and what was their record. But if you play this game in the 20s for Tennessee, I think you have a real good shot to win. Because what they've been to this point is game control, make you say uncle, run the football. That's kind of been their identity. It's kind of been their MO this season. And credit Josh Heupel for adapting to that. But for Missouri, they want to play this game in the 30s. They want to let Luther Burden, who you hope is healthy for this spot I know we got dinged up against Georgia came back in the game you hope he's at somewhere near full strength if you're a Missouri Tiger fan you want to have him be the difference maker for you he's one of the best players in the country you should want him to be the difference maker for you the player who holds that in the palm of the who holds those you know 20s and 30s number in the palm of his hands is Luther Burden now something to watch for my question is what is the balance in terms of attention you have to pay to Luther Burden when it comes to what Brady Cook does on the ground and what Cody Schrader does on the ground Cody Schrader went for over 100 yards against Georgia. I think most Georgia fans left that game saying, whoa, hey, we got out of there with a win, but that number seven, man, he's a dog. Was that a D2? What? Swear? No. Like, that was kind of the feeling, I think, for a lot of Georgia fans leaving that game. And for Brady Cook now, hey, man, he's got some wheels. Like, is he Michael Vick? No. But he can hurt you with those quarterback design runs, and when he decides to take off, like, he can turn third and seven into first and ten real quick. And so if you don't pr- play 
them accordingly. Some kind of some drives could start to formulate from Missouri. But if but if you try and give them too much attention and they're just gashing you, well then Luther Burden gets to win his matchup one on one. And I'll say this about Missouri too: they do a really good job scheming guys open, specifically scheming number three open. A lot of layers to their route concepts and a lot of messing with that safety and before you know it you're like how is luther burden so open how is luther burden getting one-on-one coverage best player on the field that's going to be crucial because as much attention as you give to brady cook and cody schrader is as much attention you're not able to give to luther burden now the good thing for tennessee they've got a tremendous front seven and so if they can play that honest you give more attention to luther burden but i think to take it a step further like i think it's big for tennessee here to get home early because if you get home early in the series and you force a second and 14 or a, or a you know, third and 12, rather, at that point in time, you already know what's coming. Like, yes, you still have to keep an eye on, on Brady Cook taking off and running and hurting with his legs. But like, we understand the ball's probably going to Luther Burden here. Or at the very least, you're giving him extra attention to make sure that they go to somebody else. Now, Theo East Jr. is another receiver from Missouri that could also hurt you. Bottom line, if you know what's coming, if you're Tennessee, good things are going to happen. If not... And they get to set the pace like, hey, hold on now. You force Tennessee to do something they don't really want to do, which is try and keep pace with an explosive offense that is Missouri. So my big question in this game now, what's in the tank for Missouri? And I'm not questioning the internal makeup of this team. I'm not questioning the culture. But I am questioning, like, you just gave it all in that game against Georgia. They emptied the tank, I believe, in that game. And now you got to go back home and play another physical outfit against Tennessee. For as much as it's said about Tennessee and they want to – push the ball downfield and people think about Hendon Hooker and think about you know the explosive pass game like that's what they were last year that's not what they are this year so it's going to force another physical output from Missouri to hang with Tennessee and I don't love the way that shakes out I think for Tennessee they kind of settle into that wear you down mode if Missouri gets some some shots early this thing gets interesting I'll be very very clear here Missouri has the personnel to win this football game Luther Burden could take over this game. Brady Cook could take over this game. They have guys that could win this football game. But based on this spot, based on Missouri having to get up off the mat after playing Georgia, based on what Josh Heupel's done against this Missouri team the last couple of seasons, I like Tennessee to win. I think it's a close one. I think that that line isn't lying to us now with favoring Tennessee by one and a half. I think I think Tennessee wins this game. I think it's by a field goal. I think it's 27-24. The game is played in the 20s. There is a fair amount of back and forth here, but at the end of the day, the physicality of Tennessee ends up being the difference maker. So now, if you're Tennessee and you beat Missouri, you start watching that Georgia Ole Miss game real, real close. Real, real close. You got Georgia next week in Neyland. We'll see. All I'm going to say is, hey, we'll see. Take care of business and uh, live to fight another day if you're the Vols. Telling you, man, this, this, is the, this is so fun. And I don't... I don't want to be Johnny Raincloud and talk about the playoff, but like we'll talk about the playoff rankings when they come out tonight. It'll be a lot of fun. Make sure you're dialed in here so you don't miss our reaction as soon as those rankings go live. But like in a year from now, when we have that 12 team playoff, are like six teams not already kind of set in stone? Another video for another time. But we just had to get it off our chest. Just had to had to be honest with y'all, as we always are on this show. If nothing else, we're honest. Appreciate everybody tuned in. Make sure you're subscribed. Shout out to my people on podcast. Got one more breakdown here for you when it comes to this college football slate. We will have more picks for you tomorrow as well, 11 a.m. Eastern. If you found us on a Tuesday, great. Come back tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, both at 11 a.m. Eastern. We uh, 
will be live on this very platform. Appreciate y'all being dialed in. Okay, let's get to it now. Miami at Florida State, 3.30 Eastern, ABC, Florida State favored by 14 and a half points. Something tells me the last couple of weeks for Miami has caused that spread to stretch to what it is. Florida State just walking that tightrope now. Walking that tightrope. They will be favored, you would imagine, in every single game they have left on their schedule. This is what you signed up for if you're Florida State. You signed up for a chance to go and play for the ACC title and to go play for a college football playoff berth. You're now in this spot. You're undefeated in November. Can you walk the tightrope? The last couple of steps of the tightrope are the most dangerous because you start looking ahead, you see the finish line, you see the destination, and you just take one foot off the tightrope and you fall down and bad things are going on if you're Florida State. I think this is a game where you really got to lock in and, and keep it about the game and not so much about the rivalry. Florida Cup implications, Miami obviously a major rival for the Knowles. Uh, this is going to be a very, very big spot for them in that sense and in that capacity from an emotional standpoint. Now, for Miami, 6-3 and three on the season. Everyone's talking about Miami like they're, you know, a football team that's going to miss a bowl game somehow. I don't buy that. I think if you win this game, obviously it's a huge revitalizer for Mario Cristobal and company and kind of sets the course for what they're going to be going forward. Kind of a, oh, that's where this thing is headed kind of win. If you're able to beat a top four team in Florida State, that would be huge. But even so, like, even with this NC State loss, I think Miami's getting overlooked just a little bit here in this spot. I think you delete the logic that you would have taken into this game. I mean, we'll use logic to break this game down, but I'm just saying with a rivalry spot like this, with the spread like this, I would, I'd, be, I'd be a little bit leery about looking at that spread uh, with too big of eyes, just the way that I feel about this. Now, who's applying the pressure when it comes to the tempo of this game? Because for Florida State, there's a very real possibility that they could just go bombs away, push the ball deep, Go up 17-0, and it is going to be a deep climb out of that if you're Miami. And that could kind of be game blouses, and we're in the third quarter. Like, that would be a reality that you would love to live in if you're Florida State. But the other part of that that I would say, the health of the wide receiver core for Florida State is going to be very, very crucial here. Mike Norvell, very close to the vest. At the time of us being live, we don't have any intel on if Keon Coleman will play or Johnny Wilson will play. He made it sound like they're in a better spot based on the health of that wide receiver room from his, uh, his press conference this week. So we'll see. But to the same token of Florida State being able to apply pressure on Miami to score points, hey, don't look now. Miami, they're a physical operation up front. Right now, they are averaging five yards a carry, which is top 25 in the country. And Florida State, as good as they are defensively, they're allowing four yards a carry. So there is definitely a path here where Miami could apply pressure to Florida State and say, hey, you better score on every possession because you may not get the football back a whole lot in this game. That would be the way that Miami could end up finding a way to make this thing very close in the fourth quarter, make this thing very, very interesting. Now, a subplot here within this. Xavier Restrepo, slot receiver from Miami. On third down, how does Florida State play him? Because if you just play him in man-to-man coverage, he's so quick, and I think that's going to be a battle that goes a couple of different ways depending on the spot. I think it'll be one where you kind of split if you're Florida State. If you play zone coverage, though, you give him some space. He's great at finding that soft spot in the zone to just kind of sit down. Extending drives on third and five plus for Miami will be huge. How often they're in third and five plus, we're going to see. But if they're able to extend some drives, Xavier Shepard will be a very big part of that. And that would be obviously the way that you would like to live if you're Mario Cristobal to kind of find a way to squeeze the life out of Florida State and force them to stay on the field and force Jordan Travis to watch a lot of this game. Now for Florida State, if you can find a way to be multiple offensively, 
We talk a lot about them being able to run the football. That's that's a big talking point for us every single week. They have so many playmakers to where if they can run the ball and force a little bit more attention on the line of scrimmage against this Florida State offense, big plays are happening in the pass game. Because at that point, I don't know how you defend Florida State if you have to account for the run and the pass. So if they can run the ball in this game, going to be very, very difficult for Miami. We have a spread of 14 and a half, and it'd be very easy to just say, well, Florida State's going to win the ball game. Hey, great job going out on a limb there. Appreciate you for that. Uh, the non-negotiables in this game for Miami. If they're going to win the game, a couple of things have to happen. You can't lose the turnover battle. Now, I did not say you have to win the turnover battle. You would take that, and that probably helps matters, but you can't have a situation where Tyler Van Dyke's out here throwing three, three interceptions. Like, that's it's not a world you want to live in. Now, as of right now, there is no commitment from Mario Cristobal about who will be playing quarterback for the Canes. Could be Ja'Curry Brown. Could be Emory Williams. We'll see. But whoever's playing quarterback, you got to make sure you take care of the ball, which is kind of a no-dust statement. But it just is is 1,000% the case when you play an offense as potent as Florida State. Other thing with this, I need second-half points if I'm Miami. Because Florida State may be the best in the country at just straight-up turning the water off. Like, second-half shutouts has just been pretty much a tradition for Florida State now to this point in the year. It can't be a thing where it's close at half and then we go out offensively and we don't adjust. We don't have something else from a game plan perspective. And Florida State adjusts well, sits on it, and we're going home with an L because we weren't able to do anything in the second half if we're Miami. The thing with this game now, this is the the time of year, and this is the kind of spot by nature of it being a rivalry game, by nature of what Florida State's playing for with the college football playoff and ACC title. This is the spot where your best players and your leaders step up and make the difference. Jordan Travis has been that for Florida State to this point. He's been that the last couple of weeks. Did it with his legs against Duke. Did it with his arm last week against Pitt with no Keon Coleman or Johnny Wilson in the lineup. This is a spot where I once again expect Jordan Travis to take over and to show you why he is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I think he deserves I think he deserves much more national buzz than he's getting to this point, to be real with y'all. Every single week, he finds a way to do what's asked. Is it always perfect? No. Is it always pretty? No. But he finds a way to be the difference maker and the catalyst for this Florida State offense week in and week out. With how well Miami's stopping the run right now, I think you'll see more of his legs in this game. Miami's allowing less than 100 yards rushing. I think he's kind of what has to manufacture that balance for Florida State with that zone read game. Heck, maybe even a little bit when the play breaks down, he kind of scoots and gets you seven when you need six. That's the kind of game I think you see from Jordan Travis. Big thing for him now, he also can't turn the ball over. Miami's taken away at two turnovers a game. I mean, that's, that's a tremendous rate if you're the Hurricanes. You'd love to have that if you're Miami. If you're Florida State, can't allow that to be the case. But with all that being said, I think Florida State plays to the level of their roster. I don't think, I think, we, I don't think we see a letdown for Florida State. I think Miami lands a few punches and, and gives it a, an interesting first quarter potentially. But I think Florida State ends up winning this football game 38-24. Again, I would not touch the spread. In a rivalry spot, just so much that happens in a game of emotion like this, I would not touch the spread. Would not surprise me if Florida State covered, but I would not touch the spread. I think this is another mature win by Florida State and just proving that, hey, that number one production in the country that's back from a season ago, yeah, the talent's great. Yeah, we're glad to have the guys that we have on this roster back from last season, but the experience they have. The guys that have won tough before, that know what it takes, that understand that they got to bring it every single week, I think that shows itself yet again at home in Tallahassee. And I think Florida State ends up winning that football game by that margin. So 
That'll be a lot of fun. Make sure you're in for that one. Major Florida Cup implications. Hey, appreciate everybody be, being uh, tuned in live right now. Uh, hey, if everybody liked the video right now that's watching, we'd have over 1,000 likes. So we appreciate you all in advance for, uh, for doing that. We would appreciate that tremendously. A little thumbs up icon under the picture. Wherever you're listening, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether you're studying, we just appreciate you all being tuned in right now. We appreciate that so much more than you know. Uh, we're going to get some of your questions here in just a quick second. Nick has posted a little tab here in the Q&A that says hashtag AskJD. Put your questions right there, and we'll get to those in an orderly fashion. I got a quick ad read for you, but then we're getting to all those questions, and we'll have a real good time. So thank you so much for that. Boom. The likes just shooting up. So thank you so much for that as well. All right. The hard count is brought to you by our good friends over at Game Time. Now, there's a lot of big games this weekend. And the last thing that you would want to have happen is to be that guy in your friend group or that gal in your friend group that says, ah, yeah, we're going to watch from home this weekend. Everyone's like, what? Are you kidding me? It's Miami's coming to town. Hey, we got, we got Michigan coming to, to State College. We're going to the game. This, this is the game now. You, you're not coming? Game time's going to make sure you're not in that situation. I mean, they have a phenomenal selection of tickets. Like all the tickets that you want from college football games to comedies, entertainment events, they're going to have you covered. Last minute tickets, so you don't have to wait, or excuse me, you, you don't have to purchase tickets months in advance. You can wait right up till the day of the event, Saturday morning. Hey, we're going, buy tickets via the Game Time app. Boom. Two seconds purchased right to your phone. You're set to go. Also, Great thing with game time, they're going to make sure you know where you're sitting from a view standpoint before you purchase. So you don't get to the game and you say, hey, I got these great tickets to this game. I'm so excited. It's Michigan, Penn State. It's going to be awesome. Oh, by the way, you're sitting behind a uh, metal pole. So you'll see about 77% of the game, but that big play that happens at the end of the game, you're going to miss it because you didn't know. Game time will let you see the view from your seat before you purchase. Tremendous, tremendous feature. Also, love this. They're obsessed with helping you save money. If you find a ticket in the same row and section that is less than the ticket you purchased, Game Time will credit you not 100% of the difference, 110% of the difference. So here's what we're going to do. I want you all to download the Game Time app, take the guesswork out of buying tickets, create an account. Very, very important now. Use code HARDCOUNT for $20 off your first purchase. If you bought a ticket that is $50, you use code HARDCOUNT, $20 off, $30 ticket. How about that? Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code H-A-R-D-C-O-U-N-T for $20 off your first purchase. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. We appreciate them so much for that. All right, now, time to get after it. Bringing on the keeper of the queue, heavy lifter extraordinaire, pride of the borough. Owensboro, Kentucky, that is. Looking good today in the cream shirt. Nick Brake, what's going on, baby? How we feeling? What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing great, man. You looking good? You feeling good? Feeling good. College basketball is back. I'm a big college basketball fan. I know you're not huge uh, in it, but... College basketball season starts in March, I believe. Oh, no, it does not. Mm, nah, I think so. You know, in so. fact, you know, I'll ask everyone in the chat, do you guys watch your teams playing college basketball as much as college football? Um, is that something you're interested in? I, I never know if it's like a cross you know, fan section or not. Yeah, I think, it, I think it probably, uh, probably a, a, a smattering across all fan bases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I'll check on, on, you know, Cornell's basketball score, but I'm not mm -hmm. like, oh, man, they're playing. Unless they reach, like, March, where it's like, all right, tournament time, let's dial in a little bit. Yeah. But to each his own. That's a good question. It's a very yeah. good question. Who knows? Uh, yeah, we'll see. Um, question one. I'm going to get to the – I'm going to ask 
the probably the first five questions that came into this Q and A. I love it. Um, so remember that for tomorrow. Get it in as soon as you can. As soon as I put that up, uh, so you're on there. And first one up is Corey. Do you think Bama? So we'll go. We'll go in advance, and obviously things have to happen for this to work out. But do you think Bama can beat Georgia in the SEC championship game? A couple of weeks ago, I would have said, "Uh, I don't know. I know about all that." Uh, the way that Jalen Milrow is playing right now, I wouldn't probably pick Alabama outright, but it would be a game that I think deserves a lot more work done on it because of the nature of that offense, kind of the evolution they've taken. Like Jalen Milrow now is no longer just like steering the car. He is the engine behind the car, which we didn't think would be the case early in the year, uh, but he's elevated his play. Credit Tommy Reese, the way that they have allowed him to be cut loose a little bit more with what he does running the football. So I think there would be some problems that Alabama would present. I'd still probably lean Georgia. I'd be curious what the line is on that one right now at a neutral site. Like I, I think it'd probably be within a touchdown, uh, if not a little bit lower. So I'd still lean Georgia based on team speed and based on um, how Carson Beck is playing right now, but that would be the, the, the intrigue on that one keeps on growing, Nick. That's a very, very good question. Okay. JD, uh, majority of the chat is pretty exclusive into the football world, by Love the way. It. See, I, it's just the games are so long. I like a short game. I like soccer. So a two-hour college basketball game, in and out, like a bank robber. Like a bank robber. It's all done. I like it. Uh, next question. If Ole Miss beats Georgia and then the, the dogs can win out, do they make the college football playoffs still? At that's that point, Carter, yeah, that's a really good question. We talked about that a little bit, of, I mean, maybe, what, two weeks ago, Nick? Mm -hmm. The only thing is, so I, I think they can. I would be surprised if a one-loss SEC champ got left out. But there's definitely a world where you would need some, I don't know if help is the right word, but, like, if we see Georgia lose and they're a one-loss conference champ, and then you have Washington, undefeated conference champ. You have Michigan, undefeated conference champ. Or Ohio State, undefeated conference champ. You have Florida State, undefeated conference champ. Well, I guess you wouldn't have Oklahoma, so I guess Georgia probably still finds their way in. But uh, I don't know. I would worry about a situation where if Georgia finds their way to the conference title game, let's say they beat Ole Miss and they lose to Bama, and they're a one-loss non-conference champ. If your loss is to Alabama, where's Alabama ranked, versus a one-loss Big Ten team on the outside looking in. So I think in that situation, by nature of how we just walked it through, the Big 12's kind of thrown you a bone in, in, in that regard with um, – couple of teams dropping games. Texas already has a loss. Oklahoma has two losses now. So I think they probably still do find their way in. As we talked that out, it kind of made more sense to me out loud, Nick. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, but yeah, I think Georgia finds their way in with one loss. But if they're not a conference champ and they have one loss, then things get dicey. All right, J.D., I got to say this really quick. Jay Floyo keeps saying, ask my question, ask my question. Dude, go, it's not in the Q&A yeah. chat. I can't find it if it's Sorry, not in Jay. there. So put it in there and I might ask it. He also says less talk. He says, let's talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he can't handle it anymore. Okay, man. Yeah, let's he, talk. Always here. Every show is here complaining and comes back. We appreciate him being dialed I'm in. I'm glad you're back, Jay Floyo 11. Yeah. Keep coming. I mean, if we don't talk, I don't know if we have a show, you know? <laughs> well, if I don't talk, you still have a show, but. No, I mean, you're, you're part of the show. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. You know? Good point. Good point. Well, we got a question from Moose. I think it's a, well, that's a statement, actually. It's a, uh, tell JD. I think it's a rematch in the pack. And then it's in this time, I think Oregon beats Washington. JD, you're in agreement there. Man, we're in lockstep. We're in lockstep. Like, we put out our top 10 rankings. We did a video on it on this channel. So check out our top 10 from yesterday. We might start doing that during live shows as well, just by nature of the college football playoff. We're still kind of 
hammering down scheduling there. Uh, but we did a, a top 10 rankings that goes out on Sundays on my social media platforms at Judy Pakel, Twitter and on Instagram. But I actually put Bama ahead of Texas and we got reamed for it. And we stand by it like, hey, at this point in the year, I think Alabama is playing better than Texas, even with that head to head. Now, if Quinn Ewers plays the last couple of weeks and Texas looks how Texas is supposed to look, well, maybe that conversation changes. But the, the point I want to point to here is I was very tempted to put Oregon ahead of Washington, even though Oregon lost that head-to-head to Washington by nature of how well Oregon's playing, by nature of how we've seen Washington have a little bit of a letdown this point in the year. I don't know. I think, I think there's a path there for, uh, for Oregon to, to leapfrog them in the rankings if Washington is to drop a game somewhere before that Oregon game. But I agree. Like If you line it up tomorrow at a neutral site, I really, really think that Oregon wins that game. So we'll talk about it when it gets here. Washington still, they have the element of like, can you play with us on the perimeter? Because nobody's been able to do that to this point against Washington for the, uh, I shouldn't say that, Arizona State did a really good job against them. But bottom line, the explosivity of Washington's offense is always going to make them a factor to win a football game that could be their ace of spades. Um, the thing I'm curious about here when it comes to, to Washington the rest of the way Do they have some other counters? We saw them run the ball well against USC. Is that something that's for real now, or is that just USC's defense not being great? We'll talk more about USC tomorrow on the live show, so make sure you're dialed in. But, yeah, there's a a curious case for Washington, man. I'm not not so sure what to make of them now. They kind of feel like TCU. You know, they kind of feel like that team that every single week are like, oh, well, this is the week they, they go down. This is the week they go down. And, like, every single week, just keep on doing their thing. So, Washington, Oregon, Pac-12 title game. Hope we get it. Think we will get it. And uh, I would take Oregon today if that game were played. Okay, I've got a question kind of from two different people, so I'm going to ask them into one. Love uh, Lucas and then Finesse Twins. So first question from Lucas, do you see Mesh- Michigan excuse me, sneaking into the playoff even with a loss to Ohio State? And then Finesse Twins, simply, do you think Michigan wins at all? Very, very good questions. We do not have Michigan winning at all. We have Georgia winning at all. Now, we will obviously pick that game if Michigan ends up playing for the national title. We'll give you our prediction there. That's so curious because if Georgia ends up dropping a game as well before the SEC title game, or if they, I'll rephrase that, if Georgia ends up winning the SEC title, but they lose this week to Ole Miss, I keep, I keep uh, phrasing this incorrectly, Georgia one loss in the SEC title game. So they're a one-loss non-conference champ would imagine the same thing is true with Michigan. Who do you take there? It would feel like Georgia would have the better loss to Alabama if Alabama is probably, what, a top top seven team? Top six team at that point? We'll see where the rankings are, but bottom line, I wonder if their loss would be, quote-unquote, better than Michigan's loss. So um, I think what you would say, too, for, for Georgia, the, the schedule they've played would probably favor them over Michigan in that spot. So I think Georgia actually gets in if they're a one-loss non-conference champ over a Michigan one-loss non-conference champ just by nature of the way that the uh, the schedule has, sh- has shaken out for them. Um, we'll see. A lot of I, I want to make sure we get to a lot of these like scenario questions. I want to do more scenario segments here on the show because that's yeah. clearly what y'all care about based on the live chat. But yeah, I think they get left out is my thought there. JD, a couple more questions. Harrison asks, are you in support of the oh, of the expanded playoff? I know you're not, so I'd like to hear what you say. Uh, Harrison says, I've heard mixed opinions, but personally, I think it's going to make the sport more exciting. It's going to make top to bottom more exciting, but you made a good point earlier, JD, that um, yeah. there are a few teams that will already be in the playoffs by this point, but that's just how all their sports work, isn't it? I know, but like that's why 
that's why we like this sport because it's not like other sports, you know? Like the fact that November is so crucial and that Michigan-Ohio State has playoff juice every year and that, you know, the game week two has playoff juice with Texas-Alabama. Like if we don't, and and Nick, forgive me here because I'm kind of going to throw some shade at basketball here. The basketball matchups we get in the preseason, quote unquote, where you got like Michigan State playing Kentucky. Like, dude, that's awesome. People will watch that for sure, but does it really matter for the duration of their season? Like, probably not. And I think you kind of water down the regular season, which I'm personally not a fan of. I love the fact that a game in October could mean just as much as a game in September or in November by nature of like the 12 game playoff that we have right now that is a regular season. So I see the pushback because to be to be real, Nick, like when we get to 12 teams and we get a Tulane versus, I don't know, Penn State round one of the college football playoff, like that will be awesome. I'm all the way here for that. That'll be a phenomenal, like it'll, it'll help our business. I'm sure it'll help the show. Like it'll make the season more exciting to some degree when it comes to that, you know, eight to 12 range at the end of the year. But like, I'm not for us already knowing Michigan's probably in, Georgia's probably in, Florida State's probably in, uh, who else? Ohio State's probably in. Like, we can kind of go down the line here and fill in. Uh, six spots are probably full. And then we get to that game in, in Ann Arbor, and it's Ohio State, Michigan, and it's four seating. You know, like, it's so much more exciting when it's win in, you're in, in my opinion. And uh, yeah. not a fan. So I, I, see the, I see both sides, but we lean towards regular season here, personally. Uh, and, and I lean for 12, and I'll say really quick why. So I, know, I get what you're saying there, but then you think about games that are like USC's playing or Notre Dame's playing. Those games don't even possibly matter in college football only like eight games matter in the entire weekend out of like what like 70 games i think they still matter usc notre dame so in the sense of like them both having multiple losses like if like this weekend who who cares what happens with usc against oregon oregon it matters but if usc wins what happens they get a better bowl game at the end of the year yeah i mean bowl game implications i think it says a lot about where lincoln riley's at and, and i think it's not so much like a thing where it has to have playoff implications. It's a thing of, like you said, for Oregon, that game doesn't matter at all if we're talking about it being a 12-team playoff. Like, it has even less importance because Oregon's probably already in, and USC, they're not in, but we're not even watching anyway because neither team has anything on the line. So, yeah, but seeding will matter I, I, in this. And it will matter. It'll, it'll matter for sure, but it Top doesn't, doesn't matter as much as, hey, you might have a chance to make the playoff. You know what I mean? That's true. It's true. And that's why it's it's tough to say. I don't know. I do see both sides. And I, I don't follow it from. enough to really know like how it will change. No, I see where you're coming from, but, though. It's a valid point for sure. Um, this I think is a lot a great, of people probably share that sentiment. This is a great question right here from AAA. And I know there's an Oregon State fan in the question or in the chat who liked this one, too. JD, which player is more valuable to Oregon State's offense, Damian Martinez or Jack Felling? Say it again. Uh, excuse me, uh, which player is more valuable to Oregon State's offense, Damian Martinez or Jack Felling? Hmm. That's tricky. I think, I think it depends on, I mean, I would, I would go the other way. I would just go Silas Bolden as a whole is probably the most important piece to them with what he does with like that Swiss Army knife kind of piece he is for that offense. DJ Uyungle, obviously uh, an enormous part of that, but I think Bolden's got to be the guy that I look at for Oregon State uh, with kind of being able to, to be the playmaker for them and kind of have some explosive plays with that ground and pound kind of approach. So, I mean, I think he's the most important player to that offense outside of Uyunglele. Okay, J.D., one more question from the chat. Um, I have made Jay Floyo 11s. I I mean, I rate because for whatever reason, he's not using the Q&A chat. I think he came in with a burner YouTube uh, name even and asked the question. Okay. So I'm going to ask it. Um, 
does integrity matter for your university, or is it all about winning? I think this is a former Michigan fan who has abandoned ship. It's either that or it is just a world-class troller. I can't tell. J.D., just give your sense here really quick yeah. before we go. It, it may be a Ohio State fan or a Michigan it, State it fan. It might be. And I think it's all fair. Like I think it's very fair to say, well, hey, Michigan, they've broken the rules. There should be consequences. 1,000% fair. If it were Indiana, if it were Michigan State, is there the same amount of outrage? Again, I, I was thinking about this last night. Like I think the, the right answer, the truth for most situations is usually somewhere in the middle of the extreme opinions. You got people saying Jim Harbaugh should be terminated and Michigan should be disqualified from the Big Ten title game. You got other people saying that doesn't matter at all. Prove it. We didn't do anything wrong. Like we both understand both of those responses are probably too extreme for what the right response is here. I think the reality is Michigan probably broke the rules. They probably should be punished. They probably will get punished at some point in time. Should we keep them from playing for the Big Ten Championship because they broke some rules last year? I don't think that's the case. I think also there's the thought that, well, Michigan's only good because they, they had sign stealing. I think that's, again, far too extreme for what the reality is here. Did it help? Have a hard time believing it didn't help. That's the point of cheating. Probably did help. Does Michigan still have a bunch of players that are going to play on Sundays? Yeah. I think that probably helped a little bit more. So does integrity matter? Of course it matters. But I like what Boo Corrigan said last week when the playoff rankings came out. And he said, it's an NCAA issue, not a college football playoff issue. If you want to parent your kids NCAA and you want to do something, step in, be our guest. But we're not going to talk about anything that's not ball. So Boo Corrigan, handshake emoji, the hard count, all about ball. And we appreciate them for that. Hey, Nick, good stuff today, brother. I appreciate it. Hey, I, Joe Floyo will not agree with my good stuff. Very mad that I did not read his statement verbatim. I'm so sorry, man. It's just, it's, it's simply, does integrity matter at your university? What kind of question is that, man? I would say yes. It was yes, obviously. Hey, Nick, I had to make it a question. Okay, I'll no see haters, you later, you ain't popping. I'm going to go back to the comment. <laughs> I'll see you later, man. You the man, Nick. Appreciate you, brother. Nick Brake, bringing it today. That's what I always say, man. If you're... If you're listening on podcasts, you don't miss out on a ton, but you do miss out on seeing the man, the myth, the legend, Nick Brake. And that in itself is worth tuning into the live show and watching. Uh, so you get to see the man behind the magic. Appreciate y'all being dialed in. We are live tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. Eastern. We'll talk USC. Got some more predictions for you for the week to come. Got a lot to unpack. We'll give you some more reactions to the college football playoff tomorrow's live show. So subscribe, 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 so you don't miss a minute of what we got going on here. We are full throttle wide open towards 200K subscribers. Want y'all a part of it? We appreciate y'all for that. Last note, we will be on the air. I say on the air. Andy Staples will be on the air tonight talking about the college football playoff and all that has to do with that. We will have a video for you on our thoughts on the college football playoff as soon as those rankings drop. So dial in right here. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it. Again, last call to action there. We'll have some thoughts for you as soon as those become available. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. I'm J.D. Pacal for Nick Break. We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time.